Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have uh, family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on uh, television, have them go to www.hotm.tv and they can watch it streaming video live from anywhere in the world. If you're watching from the NRB DirecTV channel 378, we welcome you. Or if you're listening to the Heart of the Matter rebroadcasts on AM 820, The Truth, we welcome you as well. I was a born-again Mormon moving toward Christian authenticity. The book's available at www.bornagainmormon.com at utlm.org, Christian Gift and Bible, and Lifeway Christian Bookstores. Sunday afternoons, everybody, 1 p.m., AM 820, The Truth, rebroadcast Heart of the Matter right here in Utah. Check it out because they have great programming throughout the week. Really love that station. And then at 2.30 p.m., uh, the best ever, never denominational, verse by verse, come as you are, refreshments are served, fellowship occurs sometimes, Bible study in the state, all are welcome, and that's go to www.calvarycampus.com, and you can find out information like directions and times, stuff like that. If you're a teenager, if you're the proud owner of a teenager, uh, if you're a youth pastor, you know a youth pastor, or you're just a person who's interested in the art of film, Aletheia Ministries has produced what we feel is an outstanding short Christian film, <clears throat> excuse me, aimed at reaching teens and young adults, especially uh, teen and young adult women, girls, uh, regarding God and the pressures of being a girl in the world. It's about sex. Uh, join us for the screening premiere of Girl. Monday night, December 6th at the Gateway Megaplex Theaters in downtown Salt Lake City. The screening is free. Again, light refreshments will be served. A short panel discussion. And we need people to be there so we can hear feedback on the short film that's going to be submitted to a number of uh, film festivals, etc. Let's look at a short clip of Girl right now. Dear God, Mother says you only answer prayers from obedience and chaste girls. If that's the case, I'm screwed.
For some reason, I believe in you. And for some reason, I think you'll help me. So here's my confession. It takes uh, some effort to break out of the mold, so uh, make the effort to attend events is not always easy, uh, but we'd love to hear your thoughts and insights on the film. That's Monday, December 6th, Gateway uh, Movie Theaters, downtown Salt Lake City, 7 to 8 p.m. Please join us. We got in a whole boatload of new products from Israel. All of them are available at our website, hotm.tv. Come along and support Israel and buying uh, those products supports the nation of Israel and Aletheia Ministries, so check them out. Finally, last week we announced that there was going to be a cross on the front doors of the LDS temple being built in Rome. Now, I got that from inside information from some people who are working with the actual architects, but we had a viewer named Amelia say, I phoned the LDS offices and spoke with Tom Owen in public affairs. He said it's not true that... The, that uh, that they are going to put a cross on the door of the temple in Rome. Yes, they are building a temple, no cross on the door. However, we have a picture from YouTube that shows kind of a, a promotional uh, schematic of what the model looks like of the Rome temple. And let's take a look and see if you see a cross or not. So, uh, I see one, but maybe that's just by virtue of the windows or the ornaments or something like that. Um, you, look, you can look at that. And again, we can come back to me right now if you want. Uh, I don't know uh, if they put one on there, if that would be a good thing or a bad thing. In some ways, it kind of besmirches the meaning of the cross because they really don't have it on any of their other buildings. And it seems like it's a PR uh, ploy for the people of Rome. But on the other hand, uh, it seems like to have it there might get people in the LDS church to start thinking on the cross like the Bible tells us to look at it. And, and so I don't, I'm uncertain. Nevertheless, that's what we have so far. We'll see what they actually do in the end. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we need you. I need you greatly uh, here tonight. And uh, our audience members need you. Uh, we all do, Lord, and so we pray you'll be with us. So grateful for our volunteers, those people who assist in the ministry. Bless them, help the technical difficulties, and help those who are searching for truth, that you will open their eyes and ears so they can hear the truth, be converted, and be healed, Lord. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. For those of you who aren't aware, Latter-day Saints call Sunday the Sabbath day and have a number of written and unwritten rules regarding it. When I was a child, I remember singing a song in primary that went something like, Saturday is a special day. It's the day you get ready for Sunday. We clean the house and we shop at the store and we won't have to work until Monday. Uh, we brush our clothes and we shine our shoes and we call it the get the work done day. We trim our nails and we shampoo our hair so we can be ready for Sunday. And Mormon leaders have really emphasized the importance of keeping the Sabbath day holy. If you come to Salt Lake City or most other towns in Utah on Sunday, it's usually you know, shut down and everybody walks about in their Sunday attire. And uh, it's, it's a day they hold uh, sacred. 
Now, LDS prophet Spencer W. Kimball said the Sabbath day is a holy day in which we do worthy and holy things. Abstinence from work and recreation is important, but insufficient. The Sabbath calls for constructive thoughts and acts. And if one merely lounges about doing nothing on the Sabbath, he is breaking it. To observe it, one would be on his knees in prayer, preparing lessons, studying the gospel, meditating, visiting the ill and distressed, sleeping, I'm amazed they put that one in there, uh, reading wholesome material, and attending all the meetings of that day to which he is expected. Failure to do so, to do these proper things, is a transgression on the omission side, end quote. Modern-day apostle Elder Tom uh, Perry said uh, from the Quorum of the Twelve that dress on Sunday is very important. He said, quote, I wonder what happened to the good old saying Sunday best. If our dress deteriorates to everyday attire, our actions seem to follow the type of clothing we wear. Of course, we would not expect our children to remain dressed in their church clothes all day, but neither would we expect them to dress in their clothes, which would not be appropriate for the Sabbath. That was in the Ensign, November 1984, page 19. Now, utlm.org, as a side note, makes an interesting point about the LDS Sabbath. They say, quote, a search for the word Sabbath and Sabbaths reveal that there are 171 usages in the Old Testament, but it just appears five times in the Book of Mormon. Three of those five times are derived directly from quoting the Bible. So only two times is the word Sabbath mentioned in the Book of Mormon. UTLM goes on to say, it seems almost incredible that the Book of Mormon, which is supposed to have been written by Jewish people, would almost completely disregard the day which was held so sacred by the ancient Israelites. That's just a side note for all you all. All right, now, Orthodox Jews have all sorts of restrictions for their Sabbath day. I do not begrudge the practice one bit. They have an eternal covenant with God regarding that day. So what is my problem, at least, with the LDS view of what they call the Sabbath? Well, let's go to the manual, folks. That is, let's look at what the Bible says about the Sabbath day. And what exactly is the Sabbath day, according to the Bible? Is it something to be trifled with? When did it begin? To whom was it given? And is it applicable to Christians today? Are there dangers in embracing Sabbatarian observances and then not keeping them? And is it errant to have a day set aside for worship? I'm going to offer seven concepts, responses, whatever, regarding the Sabbath day uh, in anticipation of most of the uh, questions or reactions we will get to the topic. And it's a hot one because... Many Christians have uh, differing opinions on the Sabbath day. But first, a clarification. I don't believe it's my place or any person's place to judge what people do relative to gathering, worshiping, or honoring God on a specific day of the week. There is liberty in Christ, freedom to do as we are so led. If someone wants to observe what they call the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, the year of Jubilee, or whatever, I say go for it. Um, I think God honors whatever comes from our heart to love and to worship him. Um, but I think it's very important to understand the biblical presentation of what is being observed in order to help eradicate the bondage that religions will use uh, on unsuspecting people re regarding the observance of sp certain special days in order 
that they can make people more worthy, okay? So if you follow a Sabbath day because you believe in your heart that you should, uh, God bless you. And if you don't because you believe in your heart it doesn't matter, God bless you too. But if you impose a day on others in the name of God like the LDS do and make it a requirement for worthiness and exaltation, well, then we've got a problem. So let's take a look at that problem now. The first, a fact, number one, there is one Sabbath day and one only, and it is on Saturday. Sunday cannot be called a Sabbath day any more than a dog can be called a cat. Uh, your dog might act like a cat, purr like a cat, walk like a cat, eat cat food, but your dog is still a dog. The Sabbath day is on Saturday. It has always been on Saturday, and there are good biblical reasons for this, which we'll discuss tonight. When a member of the LDS Church says, do you obey the Sabbath and applies it to observances and actions on a Sunday, it is a misnomer, I mean, at best. And it, it's kind of a bastardization of God's word uh, at the worst. Why? Well, let's take a minute and examine the day. First, the word Sabbath means rest in Hebrew. Uh, and it's associated with God's rest after he finished creating the world. Now, God wasn't tired when he finished creating the world. It's that, it's so tired that, okay, now I got to rest. You know, we get that imagery in our head. That's not what it was. All it means is it's like a rest in music. He stopped creating. That's what it means. The creation was at an end. It was finished, so he stopped. The true Sabbath goes back to what God uh, did at the end of the creation. In Genesis 2, 2 through 3, it says, And on the seventh day, which is a Saturday, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. There's a very important thing to understand here, though. The Sabbath day of rest was not, I repeat, was not instituted at the creation, okay? Adam and Eve did not observe a Sabbath day. Why would they? They were in the Garden of Eden. There was no work. Everything was perfect. Uh, God was with them. Uh, and there was no labor to complete because they, the garden was complete. There were no weeds to pull. There was no work to do. It was a fine place. There was no Sabbath day. So then why is the Sabbath day mentioned in the book of Genesis? Listen, for the same reason that Eve is called the mother of all living prior to her having any children. It's for the same reason that in the Gospel of John, Judas is called the betrayer of Jesus before he betrays Jesus. The Genesis record was written as an explanation of why there was a Sabbath, not evidence of there being a Sabbath day observed at that time. Remember Moses wrote, wrote the book of Genesis in retrospect. He wasn't there with Adam and Eve. And when he wrote, he tied in many things that would help the children of Israel understand why they were going to do the things they did in their law. How do we know this? Let's look at Nehemiah 9, 13, 14. Speaking of God, Nehemiah writes, Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments, and true laws, good statutes, and commandments, and madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws 
by the hand of Moses, thy servant. The children of Israel did not practice uh, Sabbath observance before Sinai. You have to know that. And neither did anybody else, Noah or Adam or anybody else prior to Sinai. So let's drop the idea that the Sabbath day was a practice from the beginning instituted by God for all men to recognize on the seventh day. Okay, number two, but people will say, but the Sabbath day is a commandment, isn't it? It's one of the 10 commandments. Absolutely. But what was the content of the, the context of the commandment? In order to fully get the gist of the Sabbath day first mentioned in Exodus 20, it must be seen in the context of to whom it was given. The children of Israel. Deuteronomy 5.1, it says, And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, thy statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Okay? The Ten Commandments then begin at verse 6 of that chapter. When we read the Ten Commandments in their context, they are inseparably connected with the old covenant of the law given to the children of Israel. Gentiles are under a new covenant of grace as all the law was fulfilled in Christ in whom we live and follow by faith. Okay, Hebrews uh, 8.13 says, A new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. All right, so <clears throat> there are always, always people who want to burden others with aspects of the old covenant or the law. They want to apply that God, uh, what God had with the children of Israel to Gentiles now in the Christian church. Lacking in faith, they want there to be outward demands and bits of conformity there uh, to make other people feel uh, compliant and make people feel holy when they obey it. Uh, they want to impose the law over grace. Herbert W. Armstrong of the Worldwide Church of God emphasized the Sabbath, Sabbath and Sabbatarian rules, dietary commands, and even grooming standards uh, for women. But Hebrews 10.29 explains the Lord's view of those who attempt to reintroduce the law as mandatory for salvation since his son has done what he's done. Listen to what it says. It says, Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. What that says is don't take Jesus' shed blood and discount that in the, spirit of, and in the spirit of grace and reintroduce the law and trample the new covenant under your feet. Don't do it, all right? Now, the Ten Commandments absolutely are good. Uh, so how do they fit under the new covenant of grace found by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? They're both amplified in Jesus and they are made possible to live through Jesus, okay? Let's take a few examples. Sorry, I got something. <coughs> Commandment number six, thou shalt not kill. What did Jesus say about thou shalt not kill? He said, don't even get angry. Amplified that Ten Commandment. And then he said, uh, and then through him and the price that he paid for us, 
we can learn that to let ourselves die to the anger. So he makes it possible for us to not even get angry, angry the more we are in his life. Uh, the Ten Commandments says, don't commit adultery. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, don't even look upon a woman or you've committed adultery already in your heart. Amplified the, te the Ten Commandments. Don't even look upon a woman with lust in your heart. And it is through him and your faith on him that he allows you to overcome this proclivity in the flesh. All things are amplified and made possible through him. Him, uh, because he is everything. He's not prominent in our lives as Christians. He is preeminent. He's number one. He's the only thing, not, among, not one among many things. He's the only thing. He is everything. And, uh, and so in this way, Jesus becomes our Sabbath. Jesus becomes our rest, okay? I'll explain the Sabbath day according to this amplification in a minute. All right, number three. But the Sabbath day is said to last forever and to be perpetual, all right? In Exodus 31, 16 through 17, God said, Therefore, the sons of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So first, this was an agreement between Israel and God, period. Secondly, it phrases like these were literally applied today to both the Christian church and to the Jews, then everything in the Old Testament that says this is a perpetual or an everlasting covenant needs to be observed by Christians today in the church. If because the Sabbath day was listed as eternal and everlasting and perpetual, then everything else that's listed as perpetual needs to be observed too. Burnt offerings in Exodus 29:42 are listed as perpetual. Uh, incense burnings, perpetual. Ceremonial washings, perpetual. And the Passover feast, perpetual. And then so should all the covenants and all the obligations of the Old Testament, including tithing, dietary laws, circumcision. All of those should not go away. But the writer of Hebrews is explicit in explaining that the entire Old Covenant was replaced by something better, okay? And that's in Hebrews 8, 6. It says, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, speaking of Christ, how by much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises, all right? If the new, co co if the new covenant is better, then the new covenant is different. And uh, the old covenant is like writing with ink and quill on parchment. The new covenant is like voice-activated typing. You, it, that's the difference between the two. Is the old still good? Certainly. Are writings of the old still viable? Sure, they help point to Christ. Are the words on the parchment less applicable? Yes, they are, because there's a better way through Christ. Is it more advanced? Yes, the new covenant's more advanced, certainly. Has it replaced the parchment writing to Gentile believers? Yes. The law, the Ten Commandments, has been replaced by the better covenant. And it is, it, it, and it is a completely new approach. The old covenant morality remains in place, but it is seen through and acted upon a new view, and that is in Christ. Don't kill, says the sixth commandment of the old. Don't even be angry, says the new. Pay tithe, says Malachi. Give cheerfully all the time, says Paul. So all amplified through Christ and all made possible through Christ as well. Number four. <clears throat> but according to the Gospels, Jesus kept the Sabbath and we should follow his perfect example, right? 
I have to admit here that this is a pet peeve of mine when people will use Jesus to promote their personal pet uh, uh, doctrine and then they'll back away on other things and they'll say, you can't do that because you're not Jesus. Well, Jesus did this. You need to do it. Then you say, well, you need to forgive that guy. Well, I'm not Jesus. I can't do that. You know, I can't stand when we use him as a puppet. He either is or he isn't. What he did was or it wasn't. We either follow him and we can do all things through him or we can't. So, okay. Yes, Jesus observed the Sabbath. But why did he do it? Galatians 4, 5, 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He lived the law perfectly. And simply put, the old covenant did not end until the death of Jesus and uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are a continuation of the old covenant. Jesus coming as promised to the children of Israel. The, the Christian church began at the descent at uh, Pentecost. And Paul to the Gentiles brings us how we are to then observe and see the gospel before us. During Jesus' life, the law was still in effect and he observed all of the requirements so as to save us from the demands of the law ourselves. If Jesus did not keep the whole law, uh, even in the smallest points, he would not have been the Messiah. So, uh, and the veil was torn in two at his death, signifying that the work of the law was finished. You see, just like the work of the creation was finished. And so the children of Israel had their rest in that seventh day when God rested from his work. We as Gentiles now rest in Christ who his work was finished and he sat down at the right hand of the father. It's just beautiful. So where the last day of the week was a day of rest, the Sabbath for those under the law, Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. I'm the source of your rest. And it's not supposed to be on a given day of the week. It's supposed to be every moment of every day of your life. You're not supposed to say, well, on this day I do good works and I, and I go out and I visit the sick and the poor and that's when I do it. We're supposed to be doing that all the time as Jesus, our head, leads and guides us. So he amplified the law in that case. Number five, but Paul didn't, regular, didn't Paul regularly go to the synagogue on the Sabbath after the new covenant began? He, Paul absolutely did. He went there and he taught the Jews who were gathered there. Paul was going to go to where the people were. And Paul said, you know, to the Jew, I become as a Jew. To those under the law, I became as under the law so that I might save some. Paul went everywhere because Paul went to on the Sabbath day to teach the Jews does not mean that there was a Sabbath day for the Gentiles. Regarding the Sabbath day, Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 16, 17, listen, therefore let no one judge you, no one judge you in food or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbaths. For these are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Right then and there, you guys, you got it right there. It's all in him. Now, as an interesting and important side note, the Sabbath of the Old uh, Covenant was not just the last day of the week, Saturday, but it also included a monthly and annual rest days. It even included on the 49th year, a one year Sabbath Jubilee. For the whole year was a year of rest. Now, how come the LDS don't follow the monthly and the annual? And the, and the yearly uh, Sabbaths too. That was all part of the Sabbatarian laws. They don't because they 
they have a smorgasbord of pick and choose, little grace here, little law here, mix it up. We don't care what it says, what the Bible says. We have our own gospel and they go from there. So finally, but the Bible doesn't specify an alternate day of worship for Christians. It doesn't specify, you're right, because we find our rest every day in Christ. But it does give us some leads here. We know from Acts 20, verse 7, that it was the first day of the week, a Sunday, when the disciples gathered together to break bread. We know that. We also know that on the first day of the week, Jesus first appeared and, uh, to his disciples with a commission for them to evangelize. We know the, fir the first gospel sermon was preached about the death and resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And the first converts were baptized and gathered into churches on the first day of the week. And this is why most Christian churches meet on Sundays and they call it the Lord's Day. And, but they don't, most of them don't have restrictive rules about observances because they realize if they understand the, the New Testament, that it's all fulfilled in Christ. Let's hope get the operators to start working on the phone lines before we go to the seventh point, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, please, LDS callers, if at all possible. Let me conclude with the summary. The whole LDS idea of a Sabbath is just altogether wrong. The children of Israel were under the burden of the law and were commanded to take a rest on the, on the Saturday, a month in rest, an annual rest, and a whole year rest every 49 years as part of the required Sabbath day. The LDS do not practice any of these legitimate biblical applications. The punishment for breaking the Sabbath day for the Jews was death, stoning. The LDS have a past history in killing certain people for certain things like interracial marriage, but never for Sabbath breaking. True Sabbath day observance today, if it was an everlasting covenant, would continue to, uh, we would still enact those penalties for people who broke them. To conclude, where the Sabbath day, Saturday, was a day that mirrored God's finished work of creation, Christians look to Jesus' finished work on the cross, God in the flesh, and find rest in Him every day of the week. Every day to a Christian is a Sabbath day, as we find our devotions and our rest and our focus on Him 24 hours uh, a day, not just one day a week. May the covenant of grace wash over the LDS Church and release its members to rest in Him every day of their lives and not to seek a false sense of rest and worthiness based on the observances of a fictitious day of the week. Okay, so let's see what we've got here in terms of calls. We've got Joshua in Salt Lake City. He's a first-time caller, and he is Jewish. Joshua, what's happening? Hey, how are you, Sean? I'm well. How are you? Good. My name is Jos Josiah. Sorry, Josiah. That's okay, and I'm calling out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Sean, yeah. I have a question for you. Yes. Um, you said on air that um, we are part of a new covenant, that we're not a part of the old covenant. Yeah. But yet, in Matthew, you know, Jesus referenced to the scripture that says that um, it talks about the law. That he, he, he said that, uh, well, I just lost my train of thought. Where it talks about that he said that one jot, not, my not one jot or one tittle will pass away. Yes. So can you exp I mean, can you explain that for me, please? Yeah. Well, the law is not, is written on our hearts. The law, for instance, written in stone, uh, were those Ten Commandments. 
But, and so that's not gonna, those aren't gonna pass away. They've been amplified as they've been written on our hearts. So as we were talking about Josiah, where the 10 commandments written in stone said, thou shalt not covet. Uh, the law written on our hearts as Christians is, thou shalt not have any cares for this world at all. So it's amplified. Coveting's not done away with. It's been amplified uh, more in the heart of a Christian. So that is what Jesus uh, meant. He, he wasn't saying, listen, I mean, Paul even said the law is good, and it is, because it leads us to Christ. But once he has moved in us, boy, that law goes from being a narrow, charged in stone observances to this broad-based thing based in love. So he's right in saying not one jot or one tittle will pass away, but it is uh, also true that it has been expanded and it's different now in the new covenant. I see. Does that help? Yes, yes it does. Very good, Josiah. I really appreciate you watching. Thank you. God bless, bye-bye. We're going to Martha in Clearfield, Utah. Martha's a first time caller. Martha, you're on Heart of the Matter. Martha? Martha. Martha? We, we don't have Martha. Someone go back and try to get Martha. We have Scott in Colorado. Line three. Scott, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I just wanted to share a quick story with you. Um, I talked with a couple of Mormon missionaries, and I mentioned seer stones, and they completely laughed in my face, and they said that the creator of South Park made it up. Um, and so I told him to read Grant Palmer, and I called him back later and told him Grant Palmer and uh, Richard Bushman's book. Yeah. Um, and they still said it wasn't true. And then so I called Sandra Tanner and talked to her personally, and uh, she pointed me to the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, which is, like, on the BYU website and the LDS.org. And uh, so I called them a second time and left a message because, of course, they didn't, they didn't answer. Wow. I just thought that was kind of funny that they didn't even know. Like, no. Or at least they said they didn't know. Yeah, they, they don't know in all probability, Scott. Yeah, I mean, I, they seem sincere. Like, I don't think they were lying. I think they were just lied to. Yeah. No, they are, so, they are full of sincerity. <laughs> they just don't have any knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Sandra Tanner agreed with that. Yeah. Like, they just didn't know about it. Good call, Scott. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye-bye. Listen, uh, some smart Alex sent the missionaries in Holiday, Utah, a referral with my name on it. And so the missionaries called me yesterday and uh, wanted to talk to me about their message. And I said, well, I'm really not sure I'm the guy you want to talk to. And I said, my name's Sean McCraney, and they didn't know who I was. So I said, okay, I'll talk to you. They said they were messengers of Jesus Christ. That's how they opened it. They said they, hear, they wanted to share with me a message about how he atoned for my sins and... Uh, and that I repent, I can repent by living the laws and by heeding all the words of the prophet and by attending all my meetings. And I said, that's a lot of stuff. And they said, yeah, yeah there's a lot of stuff. And I said, you know, I, I, I just, I'm not the type of guy who wants to do any of that stuff. And then he, and then the elder, uh, he, uh, elder Carter, he's, well, you know, you just do the best you can. And then Jesus makes up the slack. That's what he literally, that's a quote, Jesus makes up the slack. And I laughed and I, you know, I said, you know, Elder, what does gospel mean? What does the gospel mean? And he said, the gospel means that you repent and you be baptized and you get the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I said, but what does the word gospel mean, Elder? 
didn't know. The word gospel means good news, Elder. Well, so what does that mean? I said, well, good news means that we couldn't obey the law. Nobody on earth could. Peter talked about that in Acts, that no man's been able to do it. So God sent his own son who came down, became God incarnate in a body, and he lived the law perfectly for us, and he gave his life for us so that in all of our failures, while we were still in sin, he saved us. Do you understand the difference? Well, you know, I'm not so sure. Who is this again? You know, we start, we continue to talk and, and then we start going on to things. He says, all you need to do, it's really not difficult, Mr. McCartney, is uh, it's really not, you just don't, you don't drink and don't smoke. And I said, Elder, you, you just, you don't even know what you're sharing, man. I said, Elder, you, you, you are out and I know you really believe what you're saying, but you are totally beguiled. You don't even know the facts of your religion. I said, it's like someone said, hey, go out and sell shotguns door to door. And these are the best shotguns in the world. They are so good. You, and you, they train you everything about the shotgun that, you, that you, they want you to know. And so you sell those shotguns. But you don't tell people that when they pull the trigger, that the barrels are too thin and the bullets blow up in your face. You don't tell them that. You just tell them about how good the shotgun is because that's what you've been told, Elder. He said, I need to call you to repentance, Mr. McCartney. And I, it revealed who I was. And he said, you've been through the temple. You need to repent. And then he bore his testimony to me. And I went through the same thing. Elder, we're going to die. And you're going to stand up before God. And you're going to tell about all your good works. And I'm going to die and just tell him I just had faith. And we'll see where it all ends up. And, you know, the poor guy seems satisfied with that. Let's go back to Martha on line four from Clearfield, Utah. Martha, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Martha. Hello, hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Sean. Um, I'm agreeing with everything you said about the Sabbath so far. Uh, excellent biblical teaching. I hope your show goes national. So do uh, I. Excellent teaching. Well, we already uh, are national, Martha. We're on the yes. NRB network, but it's this other station that's really huge that is interested in us. Good. Well, I'll be praying. Uh, your, your teaching, I've been watching your show. You, you do uh, your biblical and what you said about the Sabbath. You're absolutely right. Every day. Anywhere where a Christian prays is holy ground. You know, Christians, we don't really have one holy ground. The entire earth can be our holy, holy land. Wow. And every day is holy. Amen. Or every day should be holy. Um, I was going to ask you, um, you know, um, I've been out here in Utah for a decade now, and uh, I've asked some of the politicians. Uh, my husband and I, we, we vote, and we ask politicians questions. Um, do you think that if Utah marketed itself as a diverse state, which is really what it is. I mean, I, I've, met a lot of, I've met a lot of non-Mormons since I've lived out here. If the politicians would admit that Utah is, has a lot of non-Mormons and is really not a Mormon state, but simply one of the 50 states, do you think that might help matters? Or, or if you do feel that it would help matters, how would it help it? Because uh, I think one of the problems is the rest of the nation thinks that they wrongfully think that Utah's a Mormon state. There's a lot of non-Mormons out here. I mean, you're not a Mormon. I'm not a Mormon. Yeah. Um, the problem is, uh, the yeah. problem is, the Mormon Church does hold so much sway and political power here. I mean, I mean, I think Utah was the only place that just across the board voted for Romney. So even while it's not predominantly LDS, uh, they still vote Mormon. You know. Uh, I got a question oh. for you, Martha. Yes. Yes. You, you like the, the idea that we try to stay with the Bible and what it says. Can you tell me anywhere in the Bible, can you enlighten me on where it says that Christians need to become involved politically 
to protest, to boycott, and to go out and vote? Does, do you know of anything in the Bible from your uh, understanding that we need to be political? Well, okay, I, I know. I, my husband and I, we've had many, many uh, lively discussions on this matter. Um, um, my husband and I, this is, uh, we believe in personal responsibility. Um, I know a lot of people say conservative or liberal. Whatever you are, I believe in personal responsibility, and you do have to live with the choices that you make. Uh, but I agree with you. I don't, I don't like, I don't like politics myself. But if we were to stay completely out of politics, you know, that Nazi nightmare might come back and haunt us. I mean, well, let me ask you something. Yeah. Didn't Jesus stay completely out of politics? It, well, I, you know, whenever I go to church, I ask uh, the pastor, "Could we stay away from politics and could we keep it on Jesus this well, week?" Because I notice churches are increasingly getting into. Politics, politics, politics. And I remember one time I left a church, and this was in the South. Uh, we lived in Louis we're not from Louisiana, but we lived in Louisiana. We went to churches where politicians would sum up and sometimes even get up and give the sermon. And they were always getting up and, of course, asking for votes and stuff. And I remember one night I said to my husband, if I wanted this, I would stay home and watch these things. TV, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Martha. I, I, wish, I wish churches would stay out of politics. I do. I, I do if, too, if Martha. Martha, listen, you've just, you've just kind of helped launch into the direction we're going in in the next two years with Heart well, of the Matter. And uh, your call has just helped launch that a little bit because we're going to be talking about that at great length. Because, well, I wish, what's that? Um, I, well, I wish we could stay out of politics, but if we did, I mean... If we did we what? Have another, we could get an Adolf Hitler in office. I so? Mean, Christians have to be aware of what's going on. Hey, hey, listen, if we have an Adolf Hitler in office, and this is radical to some people, but listen, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was in yeah. office, the Babylonian king. I mean, God yeah. is the one. Every Christian agrees that whoever is in office, God yeah. is the one who has allowed him to be there. Well, so, true, but, but... True what? Well, okay, that's true, but now in the past we didn't have people with their hands on the nuke button. And, and Hitler Let them nuke it, baby. I mean, if we really walk by faith, if we really are believers and trusters in Jesus, why aren't we just sharing his message? And why are we going out and trying, worried and fearful that someone's going to nuke us? Well, I, I know I agree with you, but I don't want another Holocaust. I mean, that's, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm like so you. I, want, I wish I could stay completely out of politics. Believe me, I'm just a voter. And I'm, I'm amazed at how, you know, my vote's important. And that scares me sometimes. Okay, <laughs> Martha, Martha, we got a bunch of other callers. Okay, well, yeah, I know, I got, I know you got to go, but I agree with you. I agree with you, Sean, and I wish it could be that way. It can. We'll talk later about it. God bless. Okay, bye bye. All right, we're going, sorry, I think I cut her off. We're going to Jerry in Highland, Utah's LDS and a first time caller. Jerry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hey, Jerry. Yeah, hi. You're on the air. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Real good, and I sure appreciate uh, you getting my call. Yeah, I was, you know, I really, I really enjoy your uh, show and your views and everything on life and everything. And you're a very well read and very knowledgeable person. Uh, I just had one question. Yeah. That uh, you know, I just curious why uh, you're always uh, like putting down LDS people. I mean, I'm, I'm LDS, but then Christian too. But then still, I just. Wondering how come uh, you're always putting down uh, the other religion rather than benefiting well, yourself. Jerry, <coughs> how are 
can I ask you before we move on into my answering yours, and I will answer your question, but how do you yeah. say that you're LDS and a Christian too? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm either or. You know, I've been LDS my whole life, but then I just, I enjoy Jesus and, and life and everything, and I enjoy all of your stuff you talk about. Well, that's I'm cool. just curious, you know, why... Uh, is it possible for me to say... religion. Is it, is it possible for me to say I'm a Muslim and a Mormon? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's cool. All right, man. I'm okay. a gay straight man. No, that, that's who, all I was asking. With a family full of non-kids. Yeah. I, I, hey, where I does really it end? I appreciate your show, and I appreciate your views on life and everything, and, and I commend you a bunch, you know. Thank, Jerry, let me answer your question. Yes, sir. I was LDS for 40 years. Uh, my family's LDS, and I was trapped in a religion that did not bring me closer to God. It just made me uh, in bondage to a faith, to a religious system. And when right. I came to understand who Jesus really was, I saw the bondage, the chains that, was on, that were on my brothers and sisters who were in the LDS church. So I speak about the LDS religion, and I, I get mad at them, not at the oh. LDS people. Okay? Right. Right. I understand. You know, I mean, right. you, you made it clear there. You Thanks, know. Jerry. God and bless you, my friend. Like I say, I really enjoy watching your show. Thanks so much. You take care. Okay. Thanks, Sean. Bye-bye. Okay, Jerry's a nice old guy. Let's go to Linda in Salt Lake City. She's LDS and a first-time caller. Linda, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. I just have a question for you. Yes. Um, have you heard of the book called Under the Umbrella of Heaven? Under the Banner of Heaven. Under the Banner of Heaven. That's yeah, right. Under the Umbrella was a Disney release. What was that? <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, Under the Banner of Heaven. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> is it a good book? Would you recommend it? It's excellent. John Krakauer is a phenomenal writer. The problem with Krakauer is he's an atheist, so that edge comes out in his writings. He sees no other side to it except godlessness or Mor and Mormonism being what it is. But he depicts Mormonism pretty well. In fact, uh, when the book came out, the LDS Church, uh, I think it was Apostles, actually uh, their, their public statement was, how can you trust the guy uh, writing about our religion who's an atheist? So they attacked him for his beliefs. But in terms of a writer, a researcher, and the book itself, I highly recommend Under the Banner of Heaven. Perfect. I'll get it tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Linda. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, Let's go to John in Portland, Oregon. John's a first-time caller. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Hey. <laughs> nice to uh, talk to you. It's good to talk um, to you. Hey, I have a um, question. It's, I was just wondering, in your heart of hearts, you know, what do you believe is the real driving force that... Uh, makes you want to continue helping people hear the truth and inspire. Is it um, uh, out of just because out of your own heart that you really want to help others to see, or um, is it? Do you believe that if your wife and kids and family stopped going and started going to regular Christian church, would they? Would you? Would your? Would you want to uh, maybe? I don't know, uh, not do what you're doing as much. Oh, you know, uh, John, I, uh, I am, people, some, many people don't understand this, but I'm driven internally to do what I do. Uh, I, I have a relentless internal drive 
to do what I do. And I believe it is put there by God. And so I believe I am on, uh, like they say in the Blues Brothers, a mission from God. And uh, I'm not a prophet. I'm not anything. I'm actually, like I always say, a jackass in my person. But God uses the weak things of the world. And so he uses me because of the passion he's given me for the LDS people. Uh, it, my, my family is, my immediate family is out of Mormonism. And the drive continues. My entire family, extended family, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, parents could come out. I'm still going to be driven. Because there are 13 million people, there is a stake a day. That means seven wards a day being formed on this earth of Latter-day Saints. And they are very strong and political, and I just don't appreciate what they do to people in the end because they don't give them the liberty and freedom that Christ gives. So I'm driven by that to help them see. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. I've been watching your shows and listening a lot of what you're saying. And I, you know, I come from um, part LDS family, and um, I have actually... Uh, been inactive and not going for my own reasons for over five years now. What are your um, reasons? Uh, well, let me just kind of give you a brief overview. Um, before my wife and I got married in the temple, I dated a lot of LDS girls. I fell madly in love with one girl. We dated for two years. She, I, I proposed to her twice, and she pretty much refused. Uh, refused my proposal because she said because I wasn't going to go on a mission. And that broke my heart. And, you know, I I still remained in the church. I, um, I was brave enough to want to continue to stay in. Um, and I was so ready to just leave and just find a good, nice Christian girl that wasn't going to judge me for um, what I did, but would see me for who I was. And a lot of these girls knew I had a good heart and I was a good person, but they, bottom line, they would have rather have chosen a church standard over a person with a heart, you know? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's crazy. And um, I, uh, I met my wife, had a church dance, um, and probably not too short, not too long after I, you know, that one last relationship ended, and we just couldn't keep our eyes off each other when we were dancing and we were just kept we we're just talking and talking and we we're like in our own little bubble kind of you know that good feeling vibe you get when you, you are quite up. the romantic john what's that you are quite the romantic oh yeah yeah i've always been kind of a romantic but anyway um let me just try and cut this short uh okay thanks uh sorry um we're, we've been married for 10 years now um and the, my driving force to um, uh, try and help inform and inspire and show love to people uh, to kind of think outside the box and not be in their own little uh, world from things that they've been taught from their, from a very young age from the Mormon church. Uh, my driving force is because I kind of felt sort of threatened um, that my wife might leave me or because other people in her family were trying to bad-mouthing me and talking, asking if she's happy because I wasn't kind of, you know, believing fully. Pulling the line. John, so, I got to cut you off because of time, but I want to say this to you. Uh -huh. John, go to the Lord and just lay it all out with him. Say, I want to know truth, Lord, and I need your protection and your help 
be a lamp to my feet, guide me, help me to know the truth and trust him, John, and your eyes will begin to open and your family will be fine if that's what the Lord wants and you're gonna want what the Lord wants for you. So trust yeah. in him. Stay on the line. And we want us. I want to send you our book, okay? Okay. And I just want to say one quick thing. I softened my heart, and that's what it took for me to to realize to just really um, see things from a clearer perspective and to help my wife understand from where I was coming from. I can tell that by talking to you now, John. Yeah. Hang on, my friend. Uh, operators, we pick up line one and get John's address, and we're going to Tracy in Layton, Utah. She's a first-time caller. Tracy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, Tracy. How are you? Good. You're on the air, my friend. Good. Thank you. Um, I'm a, uh, a retired Mormon. Okay. I uh, left the church. Uh, it's like you retired uh, from the military. No. <laughs> I left the church years ago. Uh-huh. But uh, something that has uh, come back to my memory from years ago, back in my childhood as uh, as going to Sunday school and that, is uh, Adam on Diamond. Yeah. What uh, What do you know about Adam, Adam on Diamond? Is this something <clears throat> that is no longer taught? Or? They don't talk about it much, but I think it's still a belief, and that was Joseph Smith came to a field in Missouri, if and and he said, this is the place where Adam was, and he called it Adam on Diamond, and uh, it's going to be the place where all the saints are going to be called to go back to in the final days before the ushering in of Christ. So I'm not sure they teach it as much. They used to really focus on that, but, uh, I, you know, I have to bone up on that subject because I haven't read about it in a long time. That's best of my memory. That's what it was, Tracy. But I don't think I've, I've read of it or heard of it, but I remember it in my childhood, and there, yeah. there were stories where the LDS faithful were going to called back. give their money back to the church and get called called to uh, Adam on Diamond and somehow be trans, transformed to have Kolob. Kolob, correct. <laughs> so it's kind of a mothership type of a... <laughs> yeah, mothership. It's a mother load, all right. All right. All right. Thanks, thanks so much, Tracy. Hey, thank you. God bless. We're going to quickly go to Stephanie in Clinton, Utah. Uh, Stephanie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. I, I am just, your show is incredible. And um, this is something that I have tr been trying to debate with the Mormons and just everyday living. Uh -huh. And um, just trying to go on living your life without being judged. Yeah. Well, that freedom's you know, there in Christ, it, isn't it, my sister? You know, I, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. And, you know, I'm just kind of watching the show, and I remember being in uh, Sunday school and being taught that the blacks were bad. I mean, I remember when they introduced that. And it's like, how can they preach all this yeah. when they're judging? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it goes back, it, it, thou shall not judge. Amen. It's a really good point, Stephanie. I appreciate it. Okay. Keep, keep watching. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely watching. Okay. I'm definitely watching. I, I, I did have a really quick question for you. Yes. Um, when you want to leave the Mormon church 
and get into something that you believe and feel, the, the family and the neighbors and all the community kind of go against you. Yeah. So I, I, I don't understand that. Isn't it just everybody just be themselves and, you know, treat the neighbors good and, and, and do good unto others? It I mean, should be that way, but it's that. not, is it? Did you hear me? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't. I said it should be that way, but it's not, is it? No, and, you know, they're, they're trying to base their religion on being good people, but the, the judgment is so there. Yeah, it certainly so is. So how can you have a religion that is so judgmental, but yet that's, you know, I mean, practice what you preach, I guess is what I'm saying. Amen, my sister. I appreciate it. God bless. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, you're doing good work. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Listen, uh, whenever you institute a law, you're going to have judgment. Whenever you have someone say, you have to do this, you are going to have judgment. You're going to have people who look at others who do it and say, boy, they're good. And you're going to have other people's look who don't do it and say, boy, they're bad. And that is why Jesus fulfilled the law. That's why we look to him and his righteousness. We look to him and his shed blood. We make him the captain of our lives. He becomes our driving force, and we don't rely on our own works and our own uh, righteousness to make our salvation sure. And that is what keeps judgment out and brings love in, because we realize we all fall short of the mark. That's the difference between a legalistic religion like uh, Mormonism and Christianity. Now listen, the LDS church just came out with a new manual, and uh, bottom line, uh, they've come up with some new twists. We're going to talk about those next week. In addition, we're going to talk about... Um, Satan, that's next week's topic, which is really quite interesting since I get called Satan quite often. And I want you to know that uh, we have nothing in common. Now, uh, remember, Heart for Israel, go to www.hotm.tv. You can look at products that are available there, and it supports the nation of Israel and also Aletheia Ministries with any purchase that you would make. Uh, partners program, if you're interested in supporting the ministry, you can go to hotm.tv and click on there and discover how you can help the ministry, either financially or with funds. And then uh, remember, Girl Premiere, Monday, December 6th, 7 to 8 p.m. at the Gateway Theaters. Love to see you there. And my wife, Mary, turned 50 years of age on Monday. Uh, I was here in the state, so I just want to say the show's dedicated to you. Happy birthday. See you next week.